Hebrews chapter 10 tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. Now we're dealing with the issue of worry, of being anxious for nothing. That's our overall topic here that we're dealing with. And when it comes to us being anxious for nothing, there are obviously a lot of things that God uses in our lives. God uses the Word of God in our lives uh, to help us not to be anxious, to help us not to, to worry. And we've seen uh, some of those scriptures applied and some of those scriptures uh, have been a help to us. Obviously, again, God uses the Holy Spirit uh, to help us uh, as far as worrying is concerned because he's there to comfort us. And by the way, he is a comforter. Uh, you need to expect him to comfort you uh, when worry hits you, when problems and issues hit you. You just expect the Holy Spirit to be there. Sometimes, you know, we don't reckon on his ability to comfort us. But there's a reason a comforter was left for us. Because we need comfort. God knows we're going to need comfort. And so he left us a comforter. And you have a comforter that uh, dwells within you that will comfort you in times of need, comfort you in times of worry. Because there are going to be things that happen in your life that, un, uh, that, that upend your apple cart. But there's help available. Don't miss it. Right? There's help available to you. Right? Now, so <clears throat> we've looked at two things that God uses in our lives then. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now, what's the third thing that God uses in our lives to help us? What's the third thing? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the... Well, the word, that would be the Word of God. Yes. Well, he uses trials, right? But other people. God uses people. Those are the three things. All of those are right, by the way. Right? God uses the Word of God, He uses the Spirit of God, and He uses people in our lives, right? People are greatly used in our lives, aren't they? In a negative and in a positive way, right? Uh, but but there, God uses them, and people are greatly used in our lives. Now, when it comes to God using people in your lives, one of the key areas God's going to use people in your lives is this area of the church, Right? The church is an important area of God's dealing with you. Not just for the preaching of the word, not just for the spirit of God, but for the people of God that are involved in it. And, you know, the church is not made up of people who all see everything the same way as you do, very obviously. Uh, It's made up of a whole different bunch of people. And there's all kinds of things that go on in the church. But understand this, that God intends for you to be used in the church and for the church to be used in your life. Right? Now, let's work out, what is the church? Don't we say we're going to church tonight now? What does that imply? Oh, yeah, believers. What is it when we say we're going to church, that implies we're going to the building and this is the church. Pardon? Okay, the temple. No, the church is the people. That's what the church is. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about building buildings. He wasn't talking about building buildings with spires. It's the people. You see, this thing could burn down in the morning. And on Sunday, we'd still have church. Right? Because we are the church. We'd meet somewhere. Right? We are the church. And so we don't understand that. When we talk about the church, the traditional thinking very often that goes across is it's the building. No, the church is not the building. The building, in a sense, has nothing to do with the church. It's just the place where the church meets. In fact, uh, in times gone by, Baptists used to refer to the um, church as the meeting house. Right? Just, just, just call it the meeting house, because that, that's all it is. Now, you know, it's bigger than that, in a sense, in our heads. But, but let's not forget that the truth is the church are the people. We are the church. Right? Wherever we go, you can have uh, a church because we are the church, right? <clears throat> now, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. That's a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us? Help us, Lord, as we look to your word. Lord, draw us into you, Lord, and draw us close to you. In it, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, so the idea is we're to consider one another to provoke to love and good works. So when you come to church, you don't come to church Uh, just to be projected upon, that you come to church to exhort, to encourage, that there's a body life that goes on. 
Right? Not just, it's not just the traditional thing where you go and somebody goes to a liturgy and you've gotten Mass and you go away. No, it's not that. Uh, you come and there's a body life that goes. And yes, there's preaching. Yes, there's the, uh, the worship. But there's a body life. In other words, there's the fellowship. There's other believers mingling with and dealing with each other and God using us in each other's lives, right? That's important. That's very important uh, to, to the work of the church. So you're to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You may know somebody that's hurting, right? <clears throat> Nobody else might know about the fact that they're hurting, but you do. You're supposed to seek to encourage them. Now, two things. First of all, people need that. Secondly, that helps you get your eyes off yourself. Because we live in a generation that wants, wants it all for me, right? And then it says, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, let me ask you, <clears throat> How often did the church in the New Testament meet? Pardon? Every day. They met every day. You see, they had a much better idea of the body life of the church than we do. It wasn't a case where you go, pay your dues, and you leave and you go away again. It was an almost constant fellowship. And because they weren't so focused on buildings, it took the... Their focus off that, and their focus was on the fellowship of the church. Their focus was on the interaction, on the body life, if you like, on the, the exhorting, on the admonishing, on the encouraging of one another, you know, on the relationships that people have, right? Now, we're in a different day and age, aren't we? We're in a very different day and age, aren't we? In fact, it's changed so rapidly. I, how many of you have homes where people just drop in for a cup of tea? Okay, that's not the norm now, is it? That was the norm. 50 years ago, that was just the norm. Now, wh what's changed? What's changed that that, 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 that has changed? What, what's changed that, you know, uh, <clears throat> that there isn't that kind of storytelling culture and conversation culture and just kind of sitting around and uh, chewing the fat and having a yarn. Uh, <clears throat> what's changed? Well, the telly took over. All right. Uh, computers and phones <laughs> and all those bits and pieces, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, now could we say this? We're busier somehow than we've ever been. Right? Leighton, you were going to say? Yeah, it's a much more moving culture, much more mobile culture. Everybody's traveling, everybody's moving, and, you know, uh, we're not staying together like we used to. R remember, the extended family usually was pretty close, right? If you think about it, yeah, I, I know from my father's home, the, the, the family were fairly close to it, and there was a lot of interaction uh, with the family. Hugh, half door. Oh, no, was that only because you couldn't afford the rest of the door? Or, was that because you couldn't afford the rest of the door, or was that for... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he thinks it's too, way too warm tonight, right? Just so you understand that, right? <laughs> um, Val, you were going to say? There's more women working. There's more women working. Oh, so, there's, so there's not Mammy, mammy, mammy Sakishton. Um, <clears throat> mammy in the kitchen. You know, making the tea and making the scones and so on. So, so it's a different world now, right? Now, and, and that affects the church. That affects the fellowship of the church. But the fellowship of the church is not just a convenience conversation type thing. It's actually part of the life 
blood of the church. And we're in a different day and age. Churches are moving down to one service every week because everybody's busy. Everybody's doing something. Everybody's got something going on. So, you know, uh, and they're, they're drawing. And, and you see, you say, well, okay, well, that, that's just the way it is now in this day and age. Yeah, I, I, I get that. But more is being lost than is being gained. Much more is being lost than is being gained. Let me ask you. Jesus had 12 disciples. How did he teach them? Did he have a discipleship course that he taught them? No. Did, did, did they have classes every morning for three years? How, how did he teach them? What? They followed him, didn't they? No, they just walked with him. They saw him. He was always teaching them you might say. They were always imbibing because he was always talking to them about something. He was always he was using, using illustrations from things that happened around him. He was constantly, you know, working with these guys and teaching them and growing. Now, <clears throat> but by the way, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask this on Sunday morning as well. How many of you have had somebody formally take a discipleship course and go through, you, go through it with you? that you've had a discipleship course that, that you've been through from, you know, you went through eight lessons, ten lessons, whatever. Up your hands. You, you've been through a formal discipleship course. Good night. Okay. Now, <clears throat> how many of you don't even know what discipleship course means? <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, that's, that's, that, that's pretty common for our age. It's bad. It is bad. But it's pretty common for our age, right? So, um, but you see, what, what happened for the early disciples was they went everywhere with Jesus. They learned from him. They grew. And you see, Christianity is not something you get in a book. Christianity is very often something you glean from the people around you. Christianity is something people influence you in your Christianity. You spend time with people and they influence you in your Christianity. It's kind of a contagious type thing. And you see, our culture has shifted so much that what's happening is the discipleship of times gone by is just not happening. Right? That's not saying that we can't address it and we can't have courses and try and help and so on. But what used to happen is not happening. And so what you have is, I remember when I got saved, when I went to Bible college, uh, a guy told me, he said, it takes 10 years for you to get the world out of you and to really start living the Christian life. Now, I thought, that's, that's kind of, yeah, well, I think he was right. I think he was right. I think it took me probably 10 years. I, and I had the privilege, you know, from the time we got saved, basically, very shortly after that, we were in church three times a week. And um, then we went to Bible college. We lived in church. So you got, <clears throat> what you've got is you've got, like, <clears throat> you know, five years of intensive learning and putting into us, right? And, you know, it helped. It helped get us through that phase, that stage where you were kind of getting rid of the world. Now, you know, many of you don't have that opportunity. And what happens is, you know, you, 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 know, you get in church, you, you, you get a little bit of something, you get, get to be in the men's, and that's a great place. Because you get a year... Where you're forced to be in the Word, you're in church, you're in classes, you're in the Bible. You know, you're forced to be. Getting, that's wonderful. That, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful opportunity. Most of those people don't ever get that opportunity, where they get to stop the rest of life and devote themselves to the Word. Don't miss it. Don't fight against it and miss it, because we're daft enough sometimes to fight against what's good for us and miss the opportunity. Right? But but here, here's the thought. You know what? If you're going to grow strong as a believer, one of the legs of the stool, if you talk about it as a three-legged stool, is going to be fellowship. Is going to be the body life of the church. Not just the organized, coordinated times of the church, but the fact that you're with other believers and you're growing and you're moving ahead with other believers. All right? That's what it's talking about here. It's talking about <clears throat> us exhorting one another, encouraging one another. You know, we're walking with the Lord and we're encouraging somebody else to walk with the Lord. We're maybe sharing a verse that, we, that God spoke to us about. We're encouraging somebody else with it. 
but that we're not, you see, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not something where you come and you sit and you get projected on. That's not what it is. What Christianity is, is Christianity is something that you participate in, you get involved in. And in a sense, discipleship is what happens when you're walking with God and you're communicating it with somebody else. Even if it's not formal, even if it's not, you know, a course, even if they're not getting three stars uh, at the end of the day, the fact that you're walking with God and you're communicating with somebody else about it, you know, that discipleship is happening because it's the Lord Jesus Christ that's been, uh, that's been passed on. And we, we need to be careful that we don't miss that. Okay, now, uh, to tie it all together with, with what we're talking about as far as our worrying is concerned, you know, one of the things that would help you with anxiety and with the anxiousness that grips your soul, there's somebody else there that you could talk to about it. Isn't that amazing? How sometimes talking about the problem can take the, the sting out of it, can actually remove But you know what? We're so isolated and so insular that oftentimes we don't have anything to talk about. It. Oftentimes we're stuck and we're not talking about it at all. And we need to. See, we need fellowship. We need communion. We talked about Sunday school over the last couple of weeks. And um, <clears throat> from Genesis 1 and 2, uh, four things. First of all, we were made for the glory of God. Second of all, <clears throat> we were made for the glory of communion, for stewardship, and then we were made for the glory of communion. And communion is Adam and Eve. God looked at Adam and he says, not good for Adam to be on his own. And you know what? <clears throat> sometimes I think it'd be great to be on your own, totally on your own, completely on your own. Right? <clears throat> uh, sometimes you think that too. But you know what? God says it's not good. It's not good for you, right? That you were made for community, for communion. Now, as believers, the church becomes the community, the communion. Now, that's great thinking, isn't it? That's great talking, that's great preaching, that's great teaching, and so on. The reality of it, that's much harder. It's much harder to actually get, get the juice of the whole thing to flow in the congregation. And yet, if we don't, we hurt. You know, I'm convinced about this. For, for me, I'm busy all the time. And I know you are too, most of you. You're busy all the time. And by the way, isn't, isn't it interesting that being busy is not related to productivity? Being busy is related to itself. Being busy means I have no time. Why have I no time? Because I'm on Facebook. Why have I no time? Because, you know, I'm, I'm just caught up in stuff. <clears throat> being busy. We're busy, but we're not actually thinking it through to see is my busyness actually achieving anything? Because you can get addicted to busy. There's a buzz that goes with busy, isn't there? You know, I got this and that and the other, and you're, uh, uh, and you're kind of out of bed and you're busy, and you, and you feel like you're achieving something because you're busy when you're maybe achieving nothing at all. Right? And I, I don't suppose that it's ever possible, it's ever going to happen short of uh, some kind of an EMP exploding all the electronics in the world. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think it's ever going to go back to the place where we sit around fires talking, um, <clears throat> like our, our, our forefathers did. It's, you know, it's probably not going to go back. We, 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 but, but I think we need to examine sometimes, why are we so busy? What is it that has us so busy? What is it that has us that we haven't got time? Because all the things that we do may keep us busy, but they may not actually help us. One of the fundamental needs that we have as human beings, never mind as Christians, is we need fellowship. We need community. We're made for it. We need it, and we're not good at it. We're getting worse at it in our day and age. I don't know how the kids that are being born today are actually going to cope with this. I mean, they're born with... Uh, media in their hands almost, and from the time they, they open their eyes first, they've got media going on, and the media's dominant. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting. If you go through the generation, we're off, we're, we're off base here, but we won't spend long off base, right? 
if you go through the generations, my generation would, would sooner make a phone call. Right? That, that, do you agree with that? You, you, you'd sooner make a phone call, right? Now, there's a generation, the millennial generation came in, and the millennial generation kind of started in the 1980s. Anybody born after the 1980s, they say is a millennial, right? <clears throat> and the millennials, for the most part, would sooner send a text. Now, is that fair? How, how many of you would say that, right? It's much easier for you to send a text. Because right? it's, just, it's just the way you're, you're, you're wired, the way, uh, the way you're actually geared now. And the, now, that's, that's a small shift, you might say. It's actually a huge shift. Right? Now, and the generation that are being born today... Like my, my granddaughter, Annabelle, that got born a week ago today. Now, what's she going to be? How's she going to relate in the world? Because it's all changing so rapidly. It's all changing so fast. But I don't need media. But I do need fellowship. And we need to remember that. That media will not satisfy my need for fellowship. It can't. And I was made for fellowship. I was made for community, so I need fellowship. So we need to be careful about this thing. Okay, back to what we're looking at tonight. Back to your sheet here tonight. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the gifts, and I'm not going to go through them all and go through all the verses with them. With you, We're going to talk through the gifts briefly, and then we're going to look at what the body life of the church should look like or what we should be doing in each other's lives. All right? So you get your sheet there in front of you. <clears throat> now, some of the gifts were of a temporary nature. Now, we can argue about that till, 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 till the cows come home, but l- let me say it to you. Some, some of the gifts were temporary of nature. Others are permanent. The temporary ones were miracles, healings, and tongues, right? Now, you say, but Pastor, do you mean to say that we can't have miracles now in our day and age? No, I don't. We can have miracles. But you know what? I don't see anybody walking around with the power of miracles. Not like Paul had. Not like Peter had. Hey, rise up and walk. Met the guy at the gate and <clears throat> rise up and walk. I don't see anybody with that kind of power. I don't see anybody with the kind of healing power uh, that you see in the New Testament <clears throat> in the New Testament church. Does God still heal? Yes. Can you pray for healing? Yes. But I don't see anybody with that kind of healing power. <clears throat> uh, it's a different day and age. If you ask me, there's, there's, there's three periods uh, in which God used mighty miracles. And each time he used mighty miracles, he was doing something. He was opening up a new age. The first time was with Moses. When Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, I'm telling you, the guy was on fire. And when, listen, when he had that stick in his hand, get out of the way, because Moses could, could, <clears throat> could just, he could, he, 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 he could turn the river to water. He could call down flies. He could, you know, <clears throat> there was mighty power. But you don't see that after that like that. Then you come to Elijah. And Elijah and Elisha, well, they've got mighty power. They have huge power. You, you see Elijah and Elisha doing things that are just amazing uh, in the power that they have, miracles. And you see, Israel has, has almost died spiritually, and God's pulling it back, and God's bringing it back. And then you have the New Testament period. The New Testament and something new is starting. And those are the three periods in Bible history when you see mighty miracles in the hands of men, if you like, God is using them. But you don't see that all the time. Right? And we need to understand that, that, you know, we don't have to see that level of power all the time, that God has power and God uses his power, but it doesn't have to be uh, that level of power. Uh, all the time, right? And then, um, but then there are gifts that the church has that it still has today. And here's the thing. You, if you're a believer tonight, you have one of these gifts. You might have more than one of these gifts. Right? Now, how are you going to work out what you have? Well, I've looked at all kinds of uh, sheets and all kinds of, um, <clears throat> all kinds of questionnaires and so on that you can do, and I've never been convinced that any of them really got it right. But, but let me just give you a couple of pointers as far as your gift is concerned. First of all, it's going to be something that you're good at, that you just find an ability to do. And secondly, it's going to be something that other people notice that you are good at. Because sometimes you can think you're good at it and other people think you're rubbish at it, don't they? <coughs> you know, it's going to be something that people will notice, that people will actually see being used in your life, and they'll say, yeah, you know what, I can see that in your life. 
right? Okay, so let's go through the gift here, right? The gifts here, right? Um, <clears throat> prophecy, right? Now, when we talk about prophecy, we talk about prophecy in two terms and two, two ways, and we can get confused with it. What are the two ways that we talk about prophecy? What's the first way? When I say prophecy, what do you, what do you immediately think of? Okay, and what were they doing? Okay. Right. Yes, that that that's true. Something that's going to happen in the future. Right. Prophecy. When we talk about prophecy, we we often talk about um, God revealing things to people and them talking about the future. Right. Now, you know what? What we need to know about the future is found written in the pages of Scripture. When we're talking about prophecy in this sense, what we're talking about somebody who has the gift of taking the word of God and declaring it, right, with force and with power. But somebody who has, who has that, the ability to preach or proclaim God's truth to others for growth, correction, and comfort. Everybody doesn't have it. Everybody, by the way, <clears throat> we don't understand this about gifts, Right? The, 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 the very heart of the idea of God giving gifts to the church is that we don't all have the same gifts. Okay? Now, he, there's a good side and a bad side to that, right? You have gifts that most other people don't have. Okay? And other people have gifts that you don't have. And that's perfectly fine. Right? You don't have to be as good as somebody else in their gifts. You don't need to be. You need to. God doesn't expect you to achieve what he expects somebody else to achieve. He expects you to achieve what he's put before you, for you to achieve. Right? Do you understand that? That God, that, that God gives the gifts. The Holy Spirit dispenses gifts. And that when we take and we use the gifts that the Holy Spirit dispenses, everybody gets blessed. Right? But he doesn't give us all the same gifts. Now, pride makes us think, I can do anything anybody else can do. No, I can't. Because I'm not gifted for it. And you know what? It is the height of arrogance for me to look at somebody else's gift and say, I can do what they do, uh, if God hasn't gifted me for it. And you know what? It's the height of arrogance for me to think, if I've got a gift, well, I'm better than them because I've got this gift. How could I be better than them? The Holy Spirit gave it to me. What have you got that you were not given? Right? So, so understand that, that you know, when it comes to the gifts, God gives the gifts to the church. Now, why does God put the gifts in the church? Why has the church got gifts? To help the church. Okay, so why has God given you a gift? To help the church, yeah. God's given you a gift to help the church. The gifts are given, the Bible says, to profit with all, for everybody to profit Okay, so the idea is that when I use my gift, the church is helped. When you use your gift, the church is helped. That's the way God's worked. He's worked it out out that that, that there are different gifts, and that when we use our gifts, the church is helped. That's the way it is. Right? So, you know what? Here's the thing. It's not important that you have somebody else's gift, but it is important that you use your gift. And when you get bent out of shape because somebody else has got a gift and somebody else has given something you weren't given, and you get bent, you don't use your own gift. And you miss out on what you were made for. Right? And when you complain about somebody else, well, you know what, well, they get to do this and they get to do that because they, uh, they got this gift. And uh, when you complain about that, you're missing out on it. Now, God put that gift in their lives to help you if you'd only let it help you You'd be blessed by it. You don't have to compete with them. You know, a competition in the church is a really carnal, dreadful thing. Because how can we exhort, encourage, and love one another if we're competing? And the gifts can be such a source of competing. Okay, back to our list here, right? First of all, prophecy. Because we're looking at somebody else's gift and saying, um, <clears throat> I want their gift. I want their position. When the, when the gift presides, the gift dictates the position, 
You know, and we're not supposed to look at somebody else's gift and say, well, I want that. I'm not, that's not fair. They've got that position. They've got that position as gift. They've got that, uh, they've got that position because they've got this gift and it's not fair and I'm just as good as them and all the rest of it. And that kind of carnality is in the church. And it really does us damage. We're supposed to recognize the gifts God has given somebody else and say, hey, that's wonderful. I'm glad you got that gift. Everybody's not going to be the same as you. Everybody's not going to be. So there's gift of prophecy, right? Preaching or proclaiming God's truth to others for their growth, correction, and comfort. And that can happen in a place like this. That can happen in somebody who kind of comes alongside somebody. But the idea is somebody who's got a gift. They can take the word of God and they can make sense of it and help people with it, right? And there's a gift of teaching, the ability to teach the truth of God's word. Now, there's a difference between prophecy and teaching in this. And I would put it this way, right? The preaching, you see, there are times, Sunday morning I preach, right? So if you raise your hand on a Sunday morning, I'm going to ignore you. Now, why? That's terrible. You mean on a Sunday morning in the service, he, he ignores me? Because I'm preaching. I'm not teaching. We're not having a discussion. I'm preaching, right? And when you're preaching, what you're doing is you're declaring the truth with force. And you're not kind of doing an RG bar. Now, on a Wednesday night, it's different. On a Wednesday night, I'm teaching, so it's kind of different. It's not, it's not the same. Now, what will happen is... I'll get to preaching sometimes on a Wednesday night, right? And I'll go off on preaching. But you know what? The format on a Wednesday night uh, is more teaching. So we're going to have interaction about that. We're going to talk about that stuff. Uh, It's a different form of preaching. Prophecy would be declaring the truth with force and laying it out there, okay? And then there's teaching, right? The ability to teach the the truths of God's word. Uh, Then there's faith. Now, uh, let's talk about this one for a second, right? Because everybody has faith. You have to have faith. You can't get saved if you haven't got faith. You can't walk with God if you haven't got faith. In fact, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please him. All right? Now, but you know what? Some people really have faith. Don't they? Some people really have faith. Some people uh, can trust God without doubt or disturbance, regardless of their circumstances. They are just there. They are just trusting God, and they are there, right? Now, that's a wonderful gift in the church. Those people can have a wonder, be a wonderful help. They can kind of settle the fear for other people. They can kind of settle the fear in the church. Uh, they can just be in the place where, no, God's, God's going to do it. We're okay. God's gonna. And they can actually foster faith in other people. Right? Everybody doesn't have it. Everybody doesn't have that ability to just park on God and rest on God and say, no, it's, it's, it's okay, God's going God's to <clears throat> come through uh, with this, right? Now, people who are especially prone to anxiety would do well to get to know individuals gifted in this way and follow their example. You have a real problem with anxiety where you worry and you get tense, you go, oh, man, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. You need to get around some people who have this gift, some people who you know, are just solid. They are there, they have faith, they trust God, uh, they know God's going to come through. Because they can be such a help to you. Because they're there. They're trusting God with it, right? Wisdom. The ability to apply spiritual truth to life. Believers gifted in this way are also good models for the anxious, right? Somebody who can take... You see, you and I can know a lot of truth, can't we? But we sometimes know much more than is real in our lives. Isn't that true? Now, wisdom is the ability to take that truth and to apply it in their own life and help you apply it in your life. And it's a gift. This is not, this is not the highest IQ person. Doesn't have, this person doesn't have to ha- have the highest IQ. You know, don't confuse it. We're not talking about somebody being clever. We're not talking about somebody being academic. Right? <clears throat> academic is a very, very small slice uh, of, of intelligence at large. And understand that. Wisdom is the ability to take truth and to apply it to life. And you get around somebody like that when you're anxious and they'll help, what they'll do is they'll help just unravel the problem in your head and help you to see it clearly. Because they can take and they can apply truth. Maybe, maybe that's your gift. Maybe you can do that. Maybe you can be a help. Now remember, it's not your gift because you think you've got this gift. It's your gift because you know this is easy for you, and other people actually see it in you. Just because you pontificate and declare that you know everything 
does not mean that you do. Right? Other people are going to see it and are going to be helped by it as well. Right? And then there's knowledge, the ability to understand facts. Uh, it is the academic side of comprehending biblical truth. You, know, you have those people who just, you know what, <clears throat> they, they, can, they can take the facts from Scripture and so on, and they can pull them all together, and they can bring it all together uh, and present it to you. Then there's discernment, the ability to distinguish truth from error, to discern what is of God and what is satanic deception. Now, that's a gift that's deadly important to the church in this day and age and sorely neglected, right? You know, if you've got the gift of discernment, when something wrong comes across spiritually, you're going... Something is off there. You've got that uneasiness in your spirit, and you're going, there is something not right in that. I am not happy with that. There is something not right with that. And, um, you know, that that gift of discernment is very important because the enemy, remember, is a liar, and he's a very good liar. And we're susceptible to lies because, you know what, we can get deceived. And so you need people around you who've got that gift of discernment. Now, sometimes the gifts conflict, don't they? Like what gift would conflict with discernment? When? Faith. Okay, faith sometimes conflict with discernment. Um, well, let's look at the next one and see this. Mercy. Uh, the ability to demonstrate God's love in acts of kindness. Now, Basically, what is somebody who has the gift of mercy? How do, how do they look on the situation? By the way, it's a gift. They're always forgiven. Right? Now, why are they always forgiven? Why is, why is somebody who's got mercy always forgiven? Ben? Kindness. Kindness. They're being kind. Vincent, what are you going to say? You scratching your head, are you? Okay. Okay, look, looking for a solution that's going to help the person. Okay, you see, so, I mean, folks, that's real important in the church. It's real important that when you come to the church, you don't end up uh, facing a situation where everybody's down on you like a ton of bricks. Right? That, 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 that there are some people that look at the situation and say, you know what, that is, they're, they're, they're looking at the situation and they're seeing, you know, hope, and they're trying to help you, and they're trying to look at the good side for you, and they're trying not to condemn you. They're trying to help. That's real important to the church. Christine? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the two gifts can appear to conflict, can't they? Because you've got somebody who's saying, Mary, saying, look, it's all right. Don't be looking at it like that. They're fine. You know, <clears throat> they'll, they'll come through it. They'll be fine. And the person with discernment is saying, no, there's a problem here. Right? So the gifts can conflict. Now, we need to understand that. Now, what do you do when the gifts conflict? What do you do when somebody looks at the situation and they say, there's trouble here, and the other person looks at the situation and say, no, we need to love them? Fine? You need balance. Okay. Okay, we need balance. Anybody else help here? This is real stuff, folks. This happens in this church regularly. <laughs> you know. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that situation? Leighton. Okay. Okay, you might pray about it, ask God to, to, to reveal. And by the way, you get two people with strong giftings, and they'll be very strong about these things. They will go head to head and toe to toe on something like this. Christine? Okay. All right, yeah. <clears throat> Develop relations with the trust. Who else had a hand up there? Yes. Uh, 
<laughs> now, uh, look, if you're, if you're a mercy person, I feel for you, because mercy people do get slammed, right? But it's a gift. God put it in the church. And you know what? There was a point, at least one point in your life, when you were so glad of a mercy person. When you were so glad of somebody who, uh, who put out an arm of love instead of raising a hatchet to you, Right? Now, that's not to say that we don't need to exercise discernment. Uh, you know, discernment needs to be exercised, but we need to, need to exercise discernment and there needs to be uh, mercy as well. Mercy can come across very much like love to somebody who's hurting. Right? And so we need to be careful. They're both gifts that are important in the church. You know, and all the gifts are important, so we need to understand they are important. I mean, if you have mercy without discernment, you're going to go doctrinally off base completely. But if you have discernment without mercy, you're going to go the other side. You're going to go off base anyway. So you do need to balance it. You need to come to the place where you actually say, hang on a minute, okay, we need to show mercy in this situation, but we need to be careful too because we sense there's a problem in this situation. And you need to, both, both need to be allowed to operate. And, and sometimes that's difficult. What you don't need to do is you don't need the gifts duking it out. I'm right and you're and you're wrong and no you're not I'm right and you're wrong that's pride and pride is the beginning of all kinds of trouble always so you need to be careful that mercy gets a place and that discernment gets a place too Tony Well, you, you could do that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's not your business and you need to stay out of it, uh, <clears throat> you know. And um, But other times, you know, you could say, listen, you should go and ask about this. You should go and ask and get some help with this situation, you know. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, part of the body life of the church is that we watch out for each other. By the way, understand this, that, that apart from mercy... Or, or let's put it this way, apart from love, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I don't have love, nothing else I have counts. Right? I'm a tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. Okay? And mercy is one of the avenues of love. Right? So here's the thing. You may have discernment that is just right on the money you still need to hear from the mercy person because you need to actually have that angle on it too. Both angles are important. You see, pride makes my gift more important than anybody else's. And it's not. God knows what he's doing. Every gift is important. Right? So let's not pit the gifts. Is, is, is it possible? Is it possible for two people to be right? Is that possible? Pardon? <laughs> well, no. But we'll, we'll say, is it, is it possible for two people to look at a situation and one say, no, there needs to be mercy here, and the other says, no, the hammer needs to fall? Is it possible for two people to be right in that situation? It is. It is. Now, you know what? The mercy needs to be tempered with discernment. And the discernment needs to be tempered with mercy. You know, both need to actually work in the situation. And oftentimes what we see is we... <clears throat> and here's the, here's the problem. The stronger your gifting is, the harder it's going to be for you to see somebody else's gifting and the, and the impact of it. But God put it all there for a purpose. Right? So we need to take, we need to take account of it. Okay? All right, mercy. Exhortation. <clears throat> Exhortation is the ability to encourage, counsel, and comfort others with biblical truth and Christian love. 
Right? So the idea is you're, you're, uh, the person who's got exhortation is the person who can come alongside you and say, hey, what's going on? Come on, let me encourage you. Listen, you know what? You're doing okay. Have you thought about this? You know, have, you, have you looked to the Lord in this? Because God can help you in this. And that, that, that can be powerful in your life. Somebody that can come along and encourage you in the right direction. Uh, those prone to anxiety need to be humble enough to listen and value what these gifted individuals have to say. Because sometimes you want to shrug it off, don't you? Yeah, well, I'm okay. I don't. No, no, no. Sometimes that's just what you need. You see, God put the gifts in the church for you. Not just for you to use. He put the gifts in the church for you. You need them. You need other people's gifts as well. Uh, <clears throat> giving. The ability to provide for the Lord's work and for others who have difficulty meeting their own material needs. It flows from a decision to commit all earthly possessions to the Lord. You know, everybody's supposed to give. You're supposed to be a giver. You used to be a taker before you got saved. Now you're saved. You're supposed to be a giver. Are you supposed to give to the church? You're supposed to give to other people. You're supposed to uh, give of yourself, of your life, of your time. You're supposed to be a giver. God loved and he gave. If you're going to be godly, you're going to give. You know, <clears throat> just yeah, you got you to stop being on the take and you got to start giving. Nothing will, few things will squash your spiritual life like maintaining the attitude of being a taker. Right? you you, you got to learn to give, right? But some people have a gift. Uh, some people are able to do it <clears throat> above and beyond. And by the way, that's great. That is wonderful. That's needed. The gift of giving. And then as administration. <clears throat> let me say this. Uh, let me read The ability to organize and lead in spiritual endeavors. It is also known as, known as the gift of ruling or government. Let, let me say this about administration. Administration is one of those background gifts, right? That when it is recognized, is resented. But without which, the rest of it all falls apart. Right? It's found every endeavor, everything you do has to have somebody with the ability to administrate and to keep it together and to work it uh, right. Because you can get all the rest of the gifts, and if you exclude that gift, you'll find the thing will fall apart. Because you need somebody who can actually pull it together and organize it and say this. Now, what you're going to find, uh, <coughs> what you'll find in the church is you'll find extremely administrative people, and you'll find uh, extremely discerning people, and you'll find extreme mercy people, and you'll, and you'll find, and all the gifts oftentimes will compete, and we're fighting ourselves. And if we would just say, now hang in a minute, God got it right. He put the other people here because we need them. We would find that we are greatly helped in it. Because all the gifts are important. Um, <clears throat> And then there's a gift, gift of helps, the ability to serve faithfully behind the scenes, assisting the work of the ministry in practical ways. And there are those people who just eat, sleep, and drink, and breathe uh, being helped. And that's great. Now, the problem is the rest of the church can just leave them to it, and they can carry much, uh, a much greater uh, share of it than they should. But, but we're going to close here and come back next week to this, right? <clears throat> but let me throw this out. What gift do you have? What gift do you have? Okay? You say, I don't know. Some of you can say, oh, I got this gift. <clears throat> I know where my gift is, right? Uh, some of you say, I don't know what my gift is. Two thoughts, first of all, right? Listen, <clears throat> ask the Lord. Because the Lord has a purpose for you being here. Now, it may not be a frontline purpose, but he has a purpose. Paul used the illustration of the body. And I mean, he goes into graphic detail about it. We're not going to go into it right now. But he used the illustration <coughs> of the body and how the body, all the body is dependent upon the body. Do you know if you cut your big toes and your thumbs off, you're virtually useless. Now, there's very little that you can do without your big toes and your thumbs. Now, they seem like such small things, but you can't grab anymore. You know, <clears throat> your big toes are important to you in balance. And you know, every part of your physical body is important. Every part of the church is important. God's got something he wants you to do. God's got something he wants you to add. Now, in the life of the body, people are going to give to you. But you need to be giving too. Now, it's not all people giving to you. And it's not all you giving to people. 
There's a life in the body. There's a giving and receiving. There's a toing and a froing. There's a, there's a reality of this. That's what the gifts are about. When, when, when your body works well, you can climb mountains, you could scale Everest, you could do anything. Isn't that right? And when your body's not working well, you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. And you want to go back to bed all day. Isn't that the reality? It's very true of the church, too. That if the church operates and everybody's using their gifts and everybody's respecting the other gifts and recognizing the importance of the other gifts, you know what? The whole thing works. The whole thing actually works. But when we don't, and by the way, we're not doing so well at it at the moment, right? When we don't, what happens is the church is hurting. The church is hurting because, you know, we're all supposed to be using our gifts. All right, we're going to leave it and go to prayer. Any questions, quick questions? Um, you've got the sheet, and on, on the sheet, it's a double-sided sheet, so you will need it for next week, right? But on the sheet, what you've got is you've got all the verses. So what you can do is you can take and you can go through all the verses related to the um, gifts, but you ought to find out from the Lord what your gift is. You're going to find it something you're good at, and you're going to find it something ultimately that people recognize you're good at, something that you can help in. All right, any questions real quick? All right, then, let's pray, and then we'll take a prayer request and go to prayer. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this people. Blessed Spirit of the living God, we do thank you, Lord, for your gifts and your blessings in this church, Lord, and for the different ones that you have gifted. Now, blessed Spirit, would you take and would you help each one to see their gift? Would you help each one to recognize, Lord, that it's from you? And would you help us to recognize, Lord, the gifts you've given other people, too, and that those gifts are from you? Now, Lord, we love you. Uh, we, we, we thank you for blessing us. Help us to use our gifts to be a blessing to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.